1: welcome back cowboys and cowgirls to another Ingles and Ian a Cowboys ride for free podcast and as always you're a good friend of mine Mr Ian but not as all the admiral of the Abacus the Vizier of visualization the says of stats Mr Parker at stats of war how are you doing today how's everyone doing today we're
0: we're here to talk about big 12 uh how's everyone I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Football's coming a little, 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 uh, little quicker every day. It feels like the season's getting here, so I'm excited to dive in and,
1: and talk about some stuff. Week zero is like what three and a half weeks away. Like the first full week of college football is a month today. So yeah, we're we're right there. We're uh,
2: 24 days away, I believe. Dang. From week zero. So I guess we fired up.
1: And everyone's looking forward to that Vanderbilt
2: Hawaii game on week zero. Oh, the nine nine thirty kickoff. Oh yeah. I'll be watching. I'll be watching.
1: <laughs> uh it, I I don't know how many of our friends remember. Uh Parker uh is at stats of war. Uh, great, great uh Twitter follow. Uh Parker, remind everyone who listens to us what you do, you know, all of the good stuff you do on the internet. And with that, he's frozen up. Man. <laughs>
2: That's a bummer. It is a bummer. He's got to come back at some point. <laughs> so,
1: Ian, uh, we're we're a month away from college football. Mm-hmm. OSU camp opened up today. Mm-hmm. Thoughts, feelings, concerns? What do, what do you got coming on?
2: Well, it's camp. I mean, it's one of those things where I don't pay too much stock into it just because unless there's a significant injury or there is some significant news concerning the roster. Oh, he's back. Um, I back. Just completely went out. Man, me, I took so.
1: the best intro for you ever. <laughs> and you're gone. So I was saying to our audience, um, I don't know if they remember when you came on last year. Uh Parker does a lot of great stuff for a lot of great places on the internet. So remind us what you do, all of that good stuff etc cetera, et, cetera, et cetera.
0: yeah i think that um uh, uh I, i'm kind of all over the place my unofficial uh title can be online online sports guy but uh yeah i do the, that u.s college football show we do some picks and predictions twice a week uh, on youtube at uh at, at uh, noon uh, central on tuesdays and wednesdays during the season um and, and i have you know some other things here and there I, I host the purple theory podcast which is a little bit of a passion project my friend and co-host Graham mcgallard and i break down um break down tcu from a from a numbers perspective although we try to live in that 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 gray area of looking at the numbers but also having a beer and talking football
1: nice nice all right so tonight's sort of idea is we're going to talk about the big 12 we're about a month out uh obviously this is a cab uh local podcast uh so kind of how do you see the uh the big 12 falling out parker
0: yeah i think that this is as wide open as the big 12 has been in in quite some time um specifically because the last couple of years it's been the perception especially in preseason has been oklahoma and then whoever can get that second spot and with oklahoma's coaching change with the turnover they have at the quarterback position and the defensive performance they had last season i mean they're, they're absolutely going to be scrapping to get one of those two spots as well. So for the first time in a long time, I, I do really feel like we have a truly open big 12. I, I think as I'm doing my season previews and, and grant and I are talking on the purple theory podcast about teams in depth. Um, I could talk myself into like seven of these teams being in Arlington. I don't know that I love uh, picking some of those teams, but if if everything goes right for a certain team, I mean, I, I think you could see any, any one of these um, kind of seven, uh, seven, eight teams, Get to the uh get get to Arlington get to the big 12 championship you've got uh, a couple teams with with north of north of 80 returning production you've got um, some new transfer quarterbacks and and despite some turnover with you know TCU Texas Tech Oklahoma you do have a lot of continuity with coaching staff at Baylor Iowa State at Kansas and at Texas so uh, a lot of interesting storylines and, and maybe as open a big 12 as we've seen in in, in uh recent memory
1: so my, my thought is, is that you know, especially with OU, they lost pretty much their entire offensive coaching staff, right? And every everyone's always been, hey, you know, it's OU. They're going to do what they're going to do. But this is like the first time in a long time where especially the offensive side of the ball is completely done. Uh, so what do you think about that in their new coaching staff? And they lost their top two quarterbacks. They've lost. A wide receiver. They've lost a lot of five-star guys who are supposed to come in this year. What do you think about that? And he's gone again. Thank <laughs> it! Yeah, what do you think about that?
2: I just the way OU recruits on a national brand. They're usually you know top ten, top fifteen recruiting wise. That I don't think it hurts them as bad as we're thinking it does. Well, it the- might hurt them this year, but next year
1: i think they'll be just fine probably we're not about next year we're talking about this year but i'm i'm, I'm yeah, more thinking I mean, about i'm more thinking about the coaching staff there's so much change on the offensive side of the ball i don't know how well be, i mean cuz we all saw i mean at least i think a lot of us saw that athletic post about like all the changes that happened because the usc coach left and then like pretty much the entire offensive side of the ball from linebackers coach up left OU, and that is pretty crazy um uh, and so i don't know i don't know i just don't know I, I don't i don't trust it you cannot so we, go that well so long
2: right i to to counter argument you uh jeff levy is a guy who at ole miss they run the air raid ou has been running the air raid that offense playbook is gonna pretty much stay the same, I would imagine, and I would assume with Venables they'd run a four three instead of I think if they've been running a five two four. That might be a little bit of an adjustment period, but OU's defense has not been the best the past few years. So you, you I don't think lose we'll that. Pickup. That's the you thing just, you
1: can't lose that many guys on the up of the ball and not have a, Alabama, especially when you lose the top two quarterbacks. I'm
2: Alabama did it a few years ago. Yeah, that's Bama. With Tua and Jalen, yeah. right? Yeah, and that's then
1: that, 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 that's that's, that's being Bama. Bama is, there's Bama and there's the rest of college sports. <laughs> I mean, that is just how it is. I mean, OU is that not that
2: far off compared to they're, Bama. They're no, far. No, they are but not, far not far off. off. All
1: right. I'm about to start cursing. So, Parker, you got to jump in here.
0: I, um, I think that, you know, uh, Oklahoma's offensive turnover is, is actually something I'm not super worried about. They kept Bill Biedenbaugh at uh, offensive line, and I think that he is a really, really good offensive line coach and recruiter and development of talent, and, um, and kind of keeping him there gives them uh, a lot of continuity. The, you know, you start to look at the key elements, and the path for offensive success for Oklahoma is right there, right? They've got perhaps the two best tackles in Anton Harrison and Wanya Morris in the, in the conference, um, or at least the very much in the conversation for best tackle duo in the conference and if you look at um their wide receiver core i mean with marvin mems and i mean they they they're going to be fine at wide receiver and have plenty of options there um and running back eric gray super experienced so the big question on offense just what like what what can dylan gabriel do well jeff levy is built an offense around Dylan Gabriel before and um, granted he'll be challenged in a way that he hasn't necessarily been challenged that him being Gabriel there and potentially has some issues with with not not getting the ball downfield but surviving in the pocket and making throws into tight windows which Oklahoma struggled with last year if you watch a lot of Oklahoma's film they really struggled to kind of make their progressions make their second and third reads when the first read wasn't there a lot of times Spencer Rattler um, would would just avoid checkdowns. Like he could have just had five free yards and, and was struggling to do that. As for the defense, I mean, they, they were really, really bad last season. 123rd in EPA expected points added per pass, which was, um, you know, allowing almost a quarter of a point in expectation when an opponent passed against them. But they were 18th in the rush. And if you look at how teams approach them, um, teams really, really just rushed against Oklahoma. And or excuse me, passed against Oklahoma, which meant they were only rushing in kind of these positive situations. So we'll see kind of this weird paradox this season where the overall quality of the defense might not change very much, but the passing defense should be much better as the rushing defense is not as good. They had, what, six, five, six guys drafted. Um, And so for Oklahoma, I think I'm a little bit more concerned about how quickly Brent Venables can turn this defense into – uh, a functioning whole unit, not two separate units that that have an obvious imbalance. Uh, so that's what I'm looking at with Oklahoma is really the, the, the question of Gabriel and the question of um, the, how the defense can kind of normalize and not be so asymmetric next season, this season.
2: That's good so stuff what? right there, man. That's good stuff. I mean, I, I, I agree with exactly what you're saying. Now, I want to talk about real quick because I don't understand this. Like, what's the deal with the Texas Tech-TCU rivalry? that i just saw on twitter there was just some beefing or whatever and now texas is flying cactus emojis i don't even what's going on with that
0: texas tech has been um in the proverbial desert for a while um they have been bad and been unhappy and they tried to fire their coach two years ago and couldn't do it and just didn't really even want to hire matt wells a lot of the boosters did and they haven't been good on the football field um in a long time and uh and so they're taking their social media kind of um excitement about the new program they're taking the wins when they can get them um tcu's program didn't help with that so one tcu is restricting single game um tickets for texas tech which they've done in the past uh because most of texas tech uh, people don't like Lubbock at all. And so they all live in DFW. And I, I understand certainly can empathize with the program saying, hey, we're not going to give you first dibs on single game tickets to come flood our flood our stadium. As Texas Tech, who has a huge living alumni base compared to TCU's very small enrollment and very small alumni base. Um, TCU's athletic director responded to like a rando 200 follower, you know, Texas Tech anon. Uh, account. And so Texas Tech jumped on that. And then TC's director of recruiting went on a rant, I probably wouldn't have posted had I been him about how, you know, the the opportunity for exposure is is better and don't take $25,000 just to go to the desert. And Texas Tech is just, you know, steering into they're doing a good job with the branding and steering into excitement about the new coach and the new season. And doing everything they can to avoid talking about their results on the field in the past um, and, and framing it really well. So, you know, people argue on Twitter, There's we, we, need, we need real football games to happen sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah. For one of the interesting things I've been seeing online is um, I've seen anywhere between Baylor being eight and four in winning the Big 12 again. You have any thoughts on that?
0: Um, I, I mean, I, I, like Baylor. We're actually going to grant and I are going to do our Baylor preview tonight. So I've got a lot of, um, stuff that I've kind of been diving in there. I think they're really interesting last year because they did a good job of kind of controlling what they could control and let other people make mistakes. I think of, um, I guess being Oklahoma state guys, you guys are probably somewhat familiar with wrestling, but is kind of this always infuriating guy to wrestle against who would never shoot first. Who would never go for a takedown but would just wait for you to do something and then try and capitalize on the slightest of mistakes baylor kind of plays football like that and their special teams you know they have the longest net uh kickoff yardage they have the lowest variance in their kickoff yardage they have the most tick um the most touchbacks of anyone and they had a lot of um the fewest offensive line penalties i mean just a lot of really just uh really um they controlled but they can control. They coupled that with having some absolute stars on defense, Jalen Petrie, Terrell Bernard on offense, Abraham Smith, really stout running back. Tristan Ebner, when he was healthy is a really solid running back should contribute to an NFL roster and um, Taekwon Thornton who ran a four to eight at the NFL combine, just an absolute freak this year. They're going to be able to do that kind of control. We can control. They're going to have to replace a lot. They have to replace over 75% of all of their receiving targets and over 75% of all of their rushing attempts. That is a lot of turnover that doesn't even speak to the fact that they're losing uh, more than 50% of their defensive production as well. So there's a lot of variance, a lot of unknowns with Baylor really works in their favor that uh, the conference is 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 pretty open because, again, they do play system football well and they have one of the better offensive lines. People will tell you they have one of the best defensive lines. I think they have one of the best interior defensive lines. Um, and, and have some absolute, you know, really, really troublesome guys there, but because their cornerbacks and safeties and linebackers are going to be so new and, and kind of exposed, I think there's some opportunities for that defense to go through some growing pains. And, uh, and so they may not be, you know, the 10 and two sugar bowl team. That being said, if, if Dave, Dave Aranda can repeat the 2021 performance this year, he's broken the game of football. He's absolutely changed it. And, uh, you know, um, 80, 80 FBS program should stop what they were doing and start mimicking what he's doing. If he can replicate that success this year.
1: Well, and that's sort of a question I was going to ask is how much is, especially the offensive side of the football system versus, because he's only been there for what, two, three years now. I, I don't remember the exact time, but he hasn't, hasn't been there long. Uh And also, I mean, obviously the portal is sort of that just 3d twenties that give you a guy and you know, you don't know what's coming out of it, but is is it that good of a system or is it? I mean, is it? Is this I mean, is a system that is like 2009, 2010, 2011 Oklahoma State good kind of offensive system? Or are we just talking sort of a, a good to great system? What are we talking about here?
0: OK, on defense with Dave Aranda, we're talking about a great system. Uh, okay. Okay. That, um, that, he can, doing, yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone, even the most like ardent of Baylor haters, um, can, can, can argue with that. That's, that's absolutely true on offense. I think that Jeff Grimes gets a lot of credit for what he's calling the reliably violent offense, the RVO. And, um, that's defined by a bunch of football speak, you know, just says some things about getting out there and stretching the field and all that and making plays and you love that. But, um, their offense last season wasn't very good. They they really a lot of their their benefits were came from field position. So in um let me make sure I have this number exactly right before I read it incorrectly. Uh they had 18. Where did it go? Oh, in 2021, Baylor had 31 drives with starting field position better than their own 40-yard line. That's 21.3% of their drives. In 2020, they only had 18 such drives, which was 15, uh, almost 16%. So, I mean, a huge increase in starting field position. You look at the Big 12 championship game where, one, they caught a break because Oklahoma State had some offensive down, had Jalen Warren out. Um, But you look at that, Baylor didn't score a point when they started in their own territory. Every single um, every single point came because Baylor was handed basically a field goal at, at worst uh, in terms of field position there with the turnovers and with special teams. And so uh, their offense was not very good last season. Uh, and you couple that with they're losing their biggest safety out, which was throw the ball to Tycon Thornton down the field because he's super freaking fast and anybody can get it in a window where he could run under and catch it uh, without that, they're, they're really asking a lot to replace on offense. So we're going to learn a lot about whether it's the scheme or whether it was the fact that the big 12 was down last year, the fact that, um, maybe Lincoln Riley wasn't as interested in game planning as he should have been. And then also that Oklahoma state was hurt at strategic times. So uh, I think it's an open question. I'm, I'm certainly more convinced that the defense is a really, really good system. The offense, um, this is, this is kind of the year we'll see like, Hey, is it is it really that special? Um, but they they really weren't that great on offense last year, especially in the past game. Yeah,
1: I mean uh, we can get into the Big 12 championship game if you want, but uh let's uh keep moving on. So one of the wild cards I'm looking at is West Virginia. They got JT Daniels in a quarterback. Uh that seems I mean, he is he was the high, as high a recruit as he was for a very good reason. What do you think that does to the mix of the Big Twelve having JT Daniels?
0: Yeah, I think that JT Daniels definitely raises West Virginia's ceiling to intriguing. Um, they they really have a a tough kind of break with their schedule and their non conference um, uh, stuff to do. I, I mean, last year like they probably should have lost the Virginia Tech game. They they were they ended up six and seven. They they probably were were close to not being bowl eligible. Um, I think if if JT Daniels gets in there and 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 Graham Harrell calling plays, works as it should, and Daniels is healthy. I mean, just the sheer increase in pass frequency that they're gonna see from last season, they, they relied on Letty Brown a lot to bail them out against poor rushing defenses. If they can just pass more and pass efficiently, I really think that they will be a lot better. Um, one of the big issues last year was was that Dagey is not very mobile. And the the offensive line was was really struggling to protect him. When the offensive line protected Jarrett Dagey, he's a fine quarterback. I think that he'll do well at Western Kentucky because a lot of that is gonna be get the ball out quick, not not sit there, make multiple reads, not not wait for your offensive line to give you, you know, three hit three and a half seconds to make a pass. Um, but, but I think JT Daniels processing is really, really good. His, his knee is probably more healthy than people think. Uh, he, he probably could have beaten out Stetson Bennett. If you, if you go to the message boards and you go down the conspiracy theories, um, his family doctor had a different plan of treatment than the Georgia doctors. And Kirby said, you know what? I'm not dealing with any of it. So I I think that he's actually a really, really good quarterback and he's in a good opportunity to get a system hand tailored to him that could really just improve their efficiency just by them passing more, let alone having you know a lot a lot of pretty decent weapons um
2: on, on offense. Yeah yeah um they're they're a sneaky good team i think they return a lot of O linemen i'm really excited to see how JT Daniels does another wild card I think I think is Kansas State. I know Adrian Martinez is you know he's had a career at Nebraska I'm not gonna say good or bad because it was neither where where do you think kansas state is at right now and do you think they can contend for the big 12 championship
0: yes i would say that kansas state's not even uh, a dark horse or a wild card anymore i think kansas state heading into 2021 given what we know about their roster is um a a front runner they are a contender and mm-hmm. um that, that that's a couple of things before you even get to adrian martinez i think they're going to have one of the better offensive lines in the nation Um, They have one of the best uh, running back and pass-catching running backs in Deuce Vaughn. If you want to impress somebody at a party, Um, and you're watching a Kansas state game and whatever weird circumstance this is just watch for Deuce Vaughn to motion in the slot and line up against the linebacker and then point at the TV and say, this is going to be a touchdown because there is this chess match that goes on with, can we get Deuce Vaughn moving him around? Can we line him up against the linebacker? And if we do, we're going to score a touchdown on that dang little angle route every time. So, um, I, I think he's excellent. They've got a couple guys in Malik Knowles and Phillip Brooks that can create separation and can catch a downfield ball on offense. If you look at defense, I think they've got two of the the uh, really underrated set of corners. They, um, uh, you know, with with EKB and with Julius Brents, they have a couple guys that are going to have no obvious asymmetry. A lot of Big Twelve teams have a front runner corner and then kind of a second guy, and teams will pick on that second guy. Kansas State, you really can't pick on either of them, let alone the fact that they're going to have one of the best pass rushes in the conference with um, with Felix and with uh, Khalid Duke, who's back from injury. I, I really think that Kansas State has the whole picture. And then you throw in Adrian Martinez, a quarterback who's been volatile, but is... Um, is, is experienced and has at least the physical tools. When he was in Nebraska, he was pressured like 40% of the time. We really don't know a lot about what Adrian Martinez can be in a functioning offense. So again, on paper, I can see a vision for Kansas State is uh, experienced, they're disciplined, they're good at the key positions, cornerback, uh, pass catching wide receivers, pass rush, and they're going to put a quarterback in a stable environment that gives them a little bit more positive volatility, a little bit more explosiveness uh, as well. So I'm optimistic on Kansas State. I think we're getting close to the offseason chatter overrating Kansas State. Um, but generally, I think that they are a um, they, they should be a contender this season, uh, especially even even going in. I don't think they're a dark horse. I think they're a contender.
1: All right. So let's uh, shift gears a little bit here. So. Give me your best reason why Oklahoma
0: State will win the Big Twelve and
1: won't win the Big.
0: 12. Okay, if um, if Oklahoma State, so one, I'll plug my own podcast. We did the Oklahoma State preview a couple weeks ago, and and yes, just very you know, good lingered and went deep, and and so if, if listeners haven't heard that, for sure should listen to it. Um, I, I think the 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 knock on Oklahoma State is kind of threefold. Um, one, I, I think Spencer Sanders has hit his ceiling. Um, and so there's not much more that he can give you. Um, you could argue if what he's giving you is enough last season. I think it was, um, although at times (laughs) context dependent, it wasn't enough, but I don't know that there's a meaningful step forward for Spencer Sanders to take. I think I know we know who he is. So there is an inherent cap on the offense. You're losing your highest rushing running back in Jalen Warren. Um, you're also replacing him with, um, Dom Richardson, who's a little bit bigger and, um, you know, some of the comments on him are he, he's, he's got balance. He's got the high volume workload, um, but he's, he, he doesn't get east to west. He's kind of a north-south guy. So there might be a, not, some, not as much explosiveness from the running back position as we've seen from Oklahoma State the last couple of years. And um, obviously at the wide receiver, you, you really lose uh, Tay Martin, who is um, uh, just a just guy who really you, you created a lot of things through him. Now, those are those are uh, so. Those are my knocks on the offense. The third knock is you lose Jim Knowles, who was able to orchestrate this kind of chaotic mass of insane talent that Oklahoma State's defense had. He was able to say, "Here are seven guys who can get to the ball. I'm going to meaningfully put them in the right position to capitalize and thrive on preying on opposing defenses." That doesn't seem likely. They're going to replicate that, even though I really like Derek Mason. Right. So well, not- the
1: other, well, my my issue there is more of. Granted, I do think Knowles is a, a great DC, but a lot of those guys have been the defense for like six or seven, like five, six, seven years because of the COVID year and everything else. So I wonder, was it Knowles or was it the guys who have just been playing for six, seven years? You know, that's kind of my, my idea, which which is still an issue. Like you're, you're going to, it's going to be an issue replacing the, you know, especially the linebacker core. Uh, right. you know, you can't. Malcolm Rodriguez is don't grow on trees, you know.
0: Yeah, like that's, and that's not a knock to whoever is going to fill in behind him. That's the exactly. thing. Like Malcolm Rodriguez is not walking through that door, and you've got to do something about it. That being said, you have four edge rushers who could go start at any other Big Twelve school and probably at 115 other FBS programs. And so there's a lot of opportunity. Derek Mason has played that two four five. I think if you look and can read between the lines. One of those guys is going to move inside and they're going to run the two, four, five and just absolutely be hell in passing situations. And so if I'm looking for optimism, I trust Eric Mason's track record. He didn't get fired at Auburn. He didn't leave in disgrace at Auburn. He said, nope, this is crazy. I'm going somewhere else. Um, And then on the offensive side of the ball, I think one of my knocks is also a positive. Spencer Sanders is who he is. You know what he is. Um, And so you can design an offense around him. I think Casey Dunn is maturing. Um, I don't know if he's the long-term solution, but I think he's, he's learning. And you have Brennan Presley and Jaden Bray um, and Braden Johnson. I think three guys who who will at least require some matchup thinking from opposing defenses. And Gundy has a really proven track record of I can put the pieces together on offense. So if you say on defense, they have the guys, even though they've got some turnover, they have a pass rush that's going to take pressure off of that secondary really, really well. Then you you know you say I trust them on offense I, I I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be competing for for at least that second spot in Arlington
1: right so uh, a question we've had and me and me and Ian have uh, yelled at each other about is will Dunn make a make a change make a leap essentially because uh, I mean we've been watching him for a long time now uh, you've been watching him as an opponent he's been getting better and we did and granted it's a bowl game you have a month to prepare whatever 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 but that oklahoma state offense looked like it did 10 years and i'm wondering if you think that's gonna continue to where maybe Gundy's like all right take the reins off you run you do your thing we're gonna run up tempo go fast go fast go fast
0: uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think that bringing in Sean Gleason was Gundy's attempt to say, let me let someone come else come in and tinker with the offense and do things. And we saw how that ended. Um, I think that Casey Dunn is a Gundy guy. And I think that he, that, that I, I respect Gundy as one of the better offensive minds in football, especially given his longevity. And um, I think that he is kind of coaching, uh, coaching Dunn. Uh, I, 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 if you were trying to be positive about Oklahoma State, I would look at that Notre Dame bowl game and look at the play action stuff they're able to to run. Look at how they got stalled out on the first couple of drives and made some adjustments. Um, I, and so I think that Gundy working with Dunn is only going to improve Dunn. That being said, I don't think there's a switch. I don't think there's a next level where we say, "Oh, Casey Dunn is a wizard." I think we say Casey Dunn is a Gundy guy and he can he can execute this vision really well um, and can improve at that. But but I don't I don't know that there's kind of like a higher gear for this offense, especially with Spencer Sanders. At at quarterback, and with the limitations of you're losing your leading receiver, you're replacing your running back, and that's kind of an uncertain situation.
1: So just, and we've had this conversation on other podcasts, but just just how just screwed is Oklahoma State if Spencer Sanders goes down? Like, if Spencer right. Sanders goes right. down, what are we what are we talking like three
0: wins, four wins? I mean, that's that's always an interesting question, um, and I I honestly think. Uh, that Oklahoma state is less dude dependent than a lot of other systems. And so I, I'm not as worried about what happens if Spencer Sanders goes down as opposed to like, if Dylan Gabriel goes down for Oklahoma, right? I think that's a really burning question, especially given his in- history, um, injury history. Um, S- S- Sanders has struggled to stay on the field. That's, that's like an objective reality. That's not anything about his characteristics, but like he hasn't played a full season, right? I think right. maybe I exactly. one at the beginning. Um, and so you've got kind of to ask what happens. Obviously, um, you know you, you you, really hope that doesn't happen and if that does happen for any extended period of time you're looking at a um man you're really looking at probably we're we're fighting for for the cheese it bowl as opposed to you know the the Alamo bowl or, or one of the New Year's six bowls. That that really does knock them down a level. But the explosive playmakers, I mean if if you know Brendan Presley, I you and I can throw the ball in space to Brendan Presley and he can go score a touchdown, right? Yeah he uh, is fantastic. And, and so, as long as they can kind of manage that transition and find ways to get their playmakers the ball, if the defense is constant in that situation, um, it certainly brings them down a level. But I don't think Oklahoma State collapses without Spencer Sanders by any stretch of that.
1: It's just it's just weird having two like freshmen as the backups who uh, like. Especially like a like, fifth-year guy that, that
0: Spencer is. I mean, it's just a weird situation to find ourselves in. You would like an intermediate option, but with the transfer portal, it's just hard to get a guy to stay there and say you don't have a path to the field. Um, but I, I mean, I, I don't think that Oklahoma's like quarterback of the future is necessarily obvious. And so if some of those guys, one of those guys gets playing time, and you get to figure out who they are. It's not the worst thing that will obviously I mean, you don't want Spencer Sanders to get hurt. Don't hear me saying that. But right, right. um, there's some spillover benefits to, to one of those younger guys playing and to, to Gundy having a really clear identity on offense and saying, I know what I'm gonna ask you to do.
2: Yeah, for sure. Ian, what do you got? Well, I just want to thank Parker for uh backing me up on the Spencer Sanders, not hate train, but the he's got oh, a ceiling a train. train. I've been saying that. I, yeah, dude, hop on the Alamo Bowl train real quick. We're going nine and three. That's what I've been saying. You know, that's probably my third year saying it. Nine and three Alamo Bowl. But I want to talk about Texas real quick. I love okay. when you were, and just how Texas offense is going to go with Bijan and Xavier Worthy. But I could also send four. Like, where do you think Texas is? And I'm not going to say the, are they back, but can they get back to the mountaintop? Is probably a better question.
0: Yeah, I year. I am mostly worried about Texas's defense um i i am mostly worried about texas um in their um and and their kind of youth and experience and they they did a lot of turnover they did a lot of changeover and uh and that's not that's not great on 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 defense um and and kind of the system that they want to run and the system that they're trying to run and how they how they get guys in there so so i'm worried more about their defense um on, on offense they they didn't have great sequencing last season and and really were limited by one card maybe not being as, as as ready as they thought and casey thompson i mean you saw pictures of casey thompson's hand swollen up like a balloon um i think he's a fine quarterback i think just bad situation on offensive line and um was injured that that's just really hard especially to carry a defense that you know is just going to give up points so um If I'm looking at them this season, I'm not not worried about their offense at all. I think you've got Bijan, you've got Roshan, really good backfield there. The offensive line, still a little bit of a question mark, but Sark can scheme around that. You've got uh, uh, Xavier Worthy, who is the most productive wide receiver in the nation, or in the Big 12, coming back, 30.3% of targets, I think. And... You look at, um, they bring in Isaiah Nader from from, uh, Wyoming who had like 28% of his team's targets. So another really productive guy that gets in the mix. They've got some talent. Julio Billingsley from over from Texas comes in. And I really think they'll be fine in terms of weapons on offense. I love the hire of Brennan Marion as their inside receivers coach. I, I largely credit him for what Pitt was able to do last season. So I think that they will be, you know, Marion with two years of worthy, worthy going to be around one guy. Absolutely. So the offense would be good. The big question is, is, is Quinn Ewers going to live up to the hype uh, playing playing games? I think he went to school with Ryan Day for last year. And that was a really, really good thing for him uh, to go get practice reps and, and kind of learn about offense and sit behind CJ Stroud. But he's going to be the guy. And we've seen, you know, that doesn't always translate directly to success. So that would be that and the offensive line are my big questions on offense on defense. I'm I'm very worried. Um, I think they'll be pretty unstable on defense and I think they'll have to outscore opponents. We've seen that um, like the Oklahoma game, they got up and the defense couldn't hold on. I, I'm worried that that's going to be what will happen. Clearly you can't put too much faith in their results last season. Uh, I hate to use the Q word, but they quit. They stopped. And the, the coaches quit the coach. The coaches said, this is not our roster. These are not our guys. We're getting rid of a bunch of them. And so there's obvious structural friction there, but I I'm reluctant to call them back because there's so much uncertainty on the defensive side of the ball, but I certainly think they're headed in the right direction. I'm also, never, I we, more confident about Texas this year than I ever was about any of Tom Herman's teams.
2: Can we classify what constitutes his back? Because I have a because I'm I'm pretty sure we'll all have like different like reasonings for it.
0: Yeah, I think I think back in my mind is just entirely a meme. And so it's are they the most important like are they the, the, can the media plausibly give them enough attention? Are they naturally competitive? Are they co- consistently more than one year in a row going to a new year six point
1: back for me for Texas would be like top 15,
0: but no, like not one season. Cause they did fine with the, there was like the Herman year and the Ellinger year. And then he said, we're back. And that was a bad idea. But like you, for Texas, it's sustained. Any, anyone can win 10 games, right? Winning ten mm-hmm. games in college football one time, you just gotta strike gold with the quarterback, like you know, just down year injuries with your opponents. Like a lot of people can win ten games as a as at Texas, right? The issue is, can you do it multiple years in a row? Which they have not been able to do any way, shape, or form. So we're not going to know if they're back this fall, right? We're we're yeah. we're going to know if they're on the right track, mm-hmm. which I think they are. But back for Texas is next year. Are they going to be in the pre- be in the preseason rankings and in the postseason rankings two years in a row?
2: Yeah, I mean, when I think about it, whenever they won. The, that sugar bowl against Georgia like okay maybe they can run with that if they had won like two or three more new year six bowls within there then that would probably be back right now they're not and I, I agree with you completely I'm going to talk about real quick can we talk about Iowa State can Matt yeah. Campbell succeed with his quarterback gone his wide receiver is a uh, star running back Brees Hall gone where where does Iowa State end up here in the shuffle I'm, I'm sure they'll get lost in it but can they make a bowl game despite everything they've lost?
0: I think they should definitely make a bowl game if, if Campbell's program is going in the right direction. I think last year was a little bit like in fifth grade basketball, I got fouled with no time left on the clock. And you guys can see me. I'm more of a, a wrestler powerlifter type, not a basketball type, but I played as a kid. And uh, uh, I got fouled at the very end of the game and they call it technical and I had to shoot two free throws with no time on the clock and no one else on the court we were down one point. So I had two chances to tie it. I airballed both of them, right? Everyone was looking at me. It was terrible. I feel like in some ways that was kind of Iowa State's 2021. They had all this returning production. They were really high on 2020. They took advantage of the COVID year and um they kind of airballed both both threes uh, or both free throws. And so I, I, I'm, I'm not writing them off entirely, but I do say it's easier and easier to say that the 2020 COVID year was the exception, not the rule for Iowa State. And this year they don't have any of the advantages from last year. So um, they, they really shot themselves in the foot with some special teams last season. My metrics had them graded out pretty well. Plus 9.1 points was actually just uh, better than Baylor, but that doesn't account for special teams and how often they, again, shot themselves in the foot. One big thing to watch if you're looking at like football guy kind of things, they don't have Charlie Kolar anymore. And so they, they really don't have a bailout option on third down between Brees Hall and Charlie Kohler, man, they could just convert automatically, right? They don't have both of those guys. I like Jarrell Brock at the running back a lot, but you're going to have to see how does Matt Campbell's system that, that is, again, a, a system for dudes doesn't require, or a system for, for guys doesn't require dudes. Like you can just, he can build around, around decent football players. How are they going to how are they going to function when they don't kind of have that automatic bailout when they stall uh, pretty frequently. So, something to watch, their defense will be good again this year. I don't expect them to contend. Um, but I I really don't know how they'll have a much better year than last year given all the given all the turnover they have. So,
1: we would be remiss uh since we only got a few minutes left of your time here. Um, how do you think this whole NIL stuff's going to like destroy college football? That is the question. If you listen to any college football, anything, it's all about how NIL is going to kill college football. So let's get your take on it. And he's gone. So, yeah. NIL, man, going to be nuts. Uh, at least Oklahoma State's trying to get get a part of it. Uh,
2: I would almost argue that the realignment would kill college football more so than NIL. Because NIL, you're still playing players. Money's still coming in, right? With this new realignment with USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten, bless you, bless you. When because they're going back to the big going to the Big Ten, they kinda they're kind of destroying some smaller brands there. And if you're not a national brand, I think your football team's in trouble. When you look at Cal and Stanford and Colorado, if USC and UCLA aren't there, where's their big check coming from? I think that Cal might end up shutting down their football program eventually. I don't know, but it, it, we're in a dangerous state. And I think if UCLA and USC get cold feet, I think that's actually better for college football.
1: Well, there's no way UCLA is doing it because they're they're like 50, 50, $60 dollars in debt, something like that, for in for just for the athletics de- department. So there's no way right. they're not cashing that check. So Parker, you're back. So we were, like I said, we would be remiss to uh, not get your opinion on like NIL realignment, all that good stuff.
0: Yeah, I think that the current NIL environment is a result of the NCAA being cowards for years and just not having a vision, not having a plan. Um, and, and and what happens is when you're behind, when you're behind, uh, systems and institutions evolve without you, and they had no kind of uh, say in the four. They refused to. It's not like it was out of their hands. They refused to have a say. Uh, for fear of the liability, um, in, in kind of how this institution of NIL formed and how these teams were able to compensate players, and they've they've gone and let Washington decide that for them, and and it's the wild rest right now. But I will say that there's a couple mitigating factors that people aren't uh, factoring in. One, I don't think that anyone's considering kind of the market value of players and how some of these players are still vastly under underpaid relative to the demand out there. I also think that the um, the, uh, we haven't seen the first round of NIL busts. We haven't seen the first round of players who have gotten paid millions of dollars, signed contracts, and then been really, really bad and then get dumped. I think there'll be some market correction. There's obviously a lot of zeal. I think we'll see a lot more of these kind of, hey, we'll give you a stipend um, kind of a deal to attract the the secondary and tertiary kind of level of players. But these number one players are still going to get millions of dollars. The, the deal is that that just frees up other elite teams to compete for those guys i think it actually kind of increases some parity because some teams aren't going to be able to um just say hey you won't win a national championship somewhere else damn it
1: at least i can still hear you so that's good could you could you hear i could hear that but now you're gone so you know what we're having all sorts of audio visual (laughs) issues and i think it's been a good show as it is so cowboys and cowgirls we will see y'all next time.